It's the Daily Talk Show, episode 753. Welcome to the show, Crystal Andrews. You're back. Hi, I'm back. I always get rid of me. This is my third time yeah. on, the, on the show. To be I'm honest, I've... up on um, Ash Williams. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's done for the show, so all you need is more than four because I'm pretty sure he's refused to come back yeah. on the show. You are the replacement, I believe, across the board. I'm getting a lot of calls because I think you are the, um, the replacement I'm for the official Ash. replacement. Yeah. Just as much influence as uh, Ash Williams. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I'm, get, I'm getting there. Um, so, first of all, I was on your podcast that uh, hasn't been released yet. I want to listen. When's it coming out? Yeah, when does it come out and what is it called? It's coming out this month, then, but this month depends how quickly I can move and it's called Debatable, um, okay, which is great. very on brand for me. Because you, you wrote a book <laughs> all about how to win any argument um, yes. and so the whole debate thing... Uh, makes sense but you were telling me on the show uh, that when you left our studio after being a guest on our show you were in tears <laughs> I didn't yes, actually I, was. I didn't actually go into the like the actual I think it caught me off guard that I didn't actually ask why, why? <laughs> was it me <laughs> it was look it was something you said no so this was the- this was when I was on the show in January 2020, which I know Josh, we also had a conversation about how that felt like it was two years ago and not, you know, yeah, I not mean, like jo- five months ago. Josh did mention that it was this year. That is ridiculous. Mm. I saw a it's photo insane. of us. We just posted recently a photo of us in... Um, it was one of the first sort of shows in our studio, which was mm-hmm. only last year. And I was thinking, imagine if we knew what was ahead. Mm-hmm. Like what you'd be thinking. It's such a f- weird time to look back on moments just before the world has sort yeah. of gone a bit chaotic and thinking about what what our head what our headspace was. So naive. And yeah. that was just what six, not even six months ago. Yeah. And so six like months, five ago, months ago, yeah, you <sighs> were you were in Melbourne. You live in Sydney. You come on the show. Why are you in tears? <laughs> A few factors went into this. Firstly, it was a pretty, it was a hectic day. So I'd flown in in the morning, had sort of meetings all day, came to do the show with you guys and then got straight on a cab back to the airport to fly back to Sydney that night. So it's a, it's kind of a long day. And by the time I got home, it was maybe eight o'clock. But as soon as I left the studio, I started thinking about everything that I had said and I've just gone, I fucked it up. (laughs) <laughs> it up. I sound like I sounded like an idiot I can't believe it and then you have you know it's a relatively long journey from Melbourne city to the airport so you have a lot of time yeah. just to think about it <laughs> got on the phone to my boyfriend told him what's happened from he's like where are they what's the address <laughs> he's like I'm sure you're fine then I've got the plane the flight back by the time I walked into the apartment I was honestly in tears and he's just gone obviously you know I'm sure it's not that bad. I'm sure you did fine. And, you know, look, you've just got to put yourself out there and try these things. It's not always going to be perfect. Um, but by the time we listened to the episode the next day, it was uh, it was, it was obviously a- fine. <laughs> yeah. But it just, it just was the most bizarre the most bizarre disconnect between what had actually happened yeah. and what I thought had happened was completely, yeah, it was insane. Was it, was it your first podcast? Was that your first? Yeah, that was, well, that was my first podcast as a guest on my own. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the video. I think yeah. it's the video oh, yeah. that really threw me. I mean, obviously I knew that it would be, you know, that it was being recorded on video, uh-huh. but it's just a crazy experience. Mm. And Josh, when you recorded my mm-hmm. podcast yeah. and I told you because there was a video feed but I said look don't worry about the video it's it's just so we can see each other it's not being recorded you kind of went oh okay yeah I can oh, really I was so happy about it <laughs> I was just like worried like oh, my head's like my forehead's a bit shiny but is there anything that we can do do you think as a podcast to help guests through the experience that you had I mean, the one thing that I I think I've requested almost every time I've been on your podcast, except for this, 
uh-huh. is questions. I wanted yeah. to know the questions oh, yeah. Sorry. before. Which is Sorry. Not, Sorry. That's, that's, just, that's just what I'm used to. Um, um, I guess in other, in other kind of media, you get like a couple of prompt questions. So yeah. it was a very unfamiliar feeling for me to go into something, having an idea of what you might ask, but not having mm. a few questions that I knew were coming, that I knew that I would be able to handle kind of articulately. Mm. Um, and then in my head as well, knowing that you guys don't edit the mm-hmm. the the episodes in my head i was thinking like don't say anything you're unsure about if you're unsure don't say it because that won't take it out well it's a skill so to sh- even become sort of self-filtering not even self-filtering but just like when you how mm. how how much do people in everyday life roll into something they have no idea about just because someone's asked them and it's yeah. because you feel sort of obliged to answer the question which is what you're saying it's but then that's a skill in itself to sort of stop and go you know what i don't have every answer about what you're talking about well, and you, so i'll come back to you on that i wonder how much of it is because you feel like you're representing something like so for us when we do the show it's like we're not really representing <laughs> big causes or anything like that like how much of it do you think is that you're talking about big topics and um, yeah. you don't want to fuck that up. That is a big part of it. And when, like, even this is much more relaxed than that episode, right? Because I've got this book called How to Win Every Argument. So mm-hmm. people expect that you have the answers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just kind of a bit of a nerve wracking experience, I guess. But it's, um, it was a, what do they call it? Trial by fire or mm-hmm. birth yeah. by fire or something. That's how don't- it felt. Don't worry, my mum, when she came on the podcast for the first time, she did great, yeah. as you did, Crystal. She said she was up, she like woke up middle of the night, just like brain ticking over, couldn't stop thinking about what she'd spoken about because it's a blur. Yeah. By the time you sort of walk out, you're like, wow, what, what happened there? You, well, I enjoyed your company so much and I enjoyed, I feel like that day we were sort of, yeah, asking you questions based on the understanding of the book you'd written and and mm-hmm. sort of taking that assumption um which you are a much smarter person than josh and i so mm-hmm. it is an interesting one when people lean on the someone being a smarter version mm-hmm. it's like you know i don't want to be the smartest in the room pretty pretty safe to say it's <laughs> never going to happen <laughs> so do you think there there is a sense of um like i think i've gotten comfortable with being wrong and like being a gronk i think allows us permission to have a crack have a swing just try like but you know yeah do a bunch of things and then if it doesn't work out then we apologize or we try something else do you think that you have a relationship with being right yeah hugely hugely Mm. i don't like failing and Mm -hmm. i don't like being wrong and i think i've been that way since i was a pretty young um kid my my mum will tell you that so yeah, it's just a, it's just a, but I mean, you know, I obviously enjoyed the experience enough to keep coming back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what you just said there though is like the, um, syndrome. <laughs> the <laughs> um, it's the uh, introverted person who ends up be, becoming a performer. You're really leaning into it because writing a book, which you can't change the text because it's printed. I was and thinking about that. I was like, thinking, yeah. like that, like you are setting yourself up at a, at a, you know, you're positioning yourself to say, this is what I think. I mean, what is that feeling like? Because, I mean, we sort of, we haven't written a book. We haven't had to cement our thoughts in a, in a specific way because we can come back tomorrow and say, you know what? I was totally wrong about yesterday. And I guess we're also not a um, keepers of inf- like big, important information or mm-hmm. like we, I guess with what you're doing with Z-Feed, you've, you're setting this expectation that you are a platform to educate, to inform, and that I, I guess is like a, a, a big um, responsibility. Mm. Yeah, there's an expectation that what we bring forward is going to be vetted and of quality and of some substance. Um, I guess, you know, writing something that is going to be in print and that you can't sort of necessarily retract. Like I'm more comfortable with that because I've worked in media and I've worked as a journalist. So like you, you just get used to that feeling of making it as you know watertight as you possibly can but at some point and i think this is what you guys are fantastic at it's like you need to whatever the work is you're creating make it as good as it can be but at some point you have to put it out into the world mm-hmm. so you can't keep working on it until it's perfect because a it will never be perfect and b that means no one will ever see it and then you haven't done anything 
Mm. I mean, there's there's a difference in people's approaches. Like, I feel like I've become a bit of a sicko with like putting, willing to put something out. Like the, even the twenty videos that I did across four uh, across the month, um, got to a point where I was like, yeah, I, I know there's problems with this, but I'll put it. Yeah. Yeah, watch this. And then I was sort of like leaning into the feeling of it not being right, which I see is a, a strength for a certain point of time. But I think it, yeah, it's, it's, it is positive in some aspects. I mean, for you, you said it's been since you were young, liking to be right. I think, you know, it's quite common. What is, how's it shifted in the last couple of weeks for you, if, if, it, if it has, just with some of the attention that has come to the th- brand you're building? How are you feeling about it? It's been five days. It's yeah. pretty much been a week that the um, the account has just exploded. Um, and I'm just trying to be more careful about the the content that is meant to be informative and additive, being like very careful about that, but then not having, not putting out five posts a day, say that are meant to be like very educational and very informative. It's like put out one really dense piece of work and then do some other things that are a little bit more light and don't require you to kind of like put your everything into it is like the only way that I've kind of figured out how to management manage it in the last week but ask me again in a month and it'll probably be completely different can you tell us the story I don't think we've really gotten the story of Z feed I feel like it's one of those things where watching it uh, build momentum and seeing people outside of our circle. I think um, Bree shared it from Hey Tiger or things like this. And she's like, and then I was like, oh yeah, Crystal, um, I mentioned yours and I said Z feed. And Bree's like, oh, is Crystal Z feed? Is that Z feed? <laughs> like, I love that it's um, completely gone outside of our circles and it's sort of become its own thing. Can you talk us through? Uh, how you developed it, what it's what it's looked like uh, over the last few months, how you've built it. Yeah, well, it, it actually started before even the book. Um, my youngest sister is 10 years younger than me. So she's a Gen Z and I'm a millennial. And we, but we're like quite similar in personality, I would say. So we, you know, talk a lot. She lives in Perth, my family, but we talk a lot on the phone about sort of where she and her friends consume news which is pretty much just on social media. So they don't like, you know, seek out, they wouldn't necessarily know that they were reading news on ABC or Sydney Morning Herald or Daily Mail or news.com. Like they don't really know the destination they're reading it. They're just getting a story in their feed and clicking a link or swiping up or reading a headline or whatever, and just taking that at face value, um, which was super interesting and as someone who works in media also very concerning <laughs> but also i think like you know where it's coming from it, it feels like that is the standard approach like we've spoken about that a lot which is just like discovering oh hang on this this consumption this the way that i'm consuming is is broken i feel like that is such a big piece in in all of this yeah hugely and and also because the I guess the origin and the reason for Z feed is the same as the book, which is that if you just come to a story that has been, you know, ongoing before you got there, news is what is new and what is noteworthy. So it's not going to go back and explain a news article is not going to necessarily explain all of the backstory before you got to that point, because the expectation is that you have, you have already kept up with it. If you're reading this, you know, if you're reading this article. Um, so originally Z feed, why it's called Z feed is, is it was supposed to be for Gen Z's, um, mostly young women to kind of like help them break down those stories and be a more accessible point of like explaining the background behind the story so that they could go and consume other news with like a little bit more context. Um, but now that there are so many more people following and reading what we're putting out, I think, I'm going to expand that to not just being Gen Z and their interests and issues, but social media generation is how I'm putting it. Mm-hmm. And then that mm. is broad enough to kind of encapsulate, you know, anyone who self-identifies as someone who gets most of their um, news and content and opinion pieces and hot takes from social media, which is like pretty much all of us, I'd probably say. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, how much time are you thinking about Z feed? average a week is it something you're really consuming you 
A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And getting the balance right between consuming content to see what other people are doing versus actually do it like creating your own content and, mm-hmm. and output for Z feed is something that I really struggle with. Cause it's so easy. Like you pick up your phone and you start scrolling and before you know it, it's like 15 minutes have gone and you haven't done anything. You've just sat there and kind of passively like consumed stuff. It's a very weird, it's a vortex. Yeah. I reckon there's a, do you remember behind the news as a oh, kid? Yeah. Did you yes. watch behind the news? Yes. Mate, they'd roll out the telly on the, um, yeah. on the, the, you know, t- the, the thing, the, the library, the, yeah. the library would like record it and yeah. it, like it would be on ABC or whatever and they'll record it and then they would play it. And it was like a, a critical look at the news, like with, like for, for, for younger people, mm. I mean, in some way, like I see Z feed being a little bit of that, which is like, I don't think that that needs to go away. I don't think that like the answer to being adults is complicating shit. Like we actually need to be simplifying to then be able to be critical. Is is that like, is that part of it? Yeah, literally behind the news for adults. They should, yeah. they should just keep watching it. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because a guy I went to high school with who... Um, came across Z-Feed this week in all of the attention that we've been getting was just messaging me and saying like, hey, I've just seen this amazing, like, so so what are you doing? And I explained it to him and he actually said, oh, so it's like behind the news for adults. He's a, he's <laughs> a school right. teacher. So like they still, apparently they still make behind the news and really? kids still watch it in school. Yeah. I love that. Can can if you ever do sort of a, a video series, can we please make you some intro sequence where a trolley wheels out an old yes. telly, <laughs> and then like the teacher, and then Zfi comes up, and then it starts your show. I could imagine. I, love that. I could even imagine 100%. like a um, a stunt where it's like uh, you know putting TVs around. Oh, that's uh, a great like, idea. I mean, when once public places can actually be open, this is like a guerrilla like, marketing tactic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, it's getting very inside baseball. He's <laughs> on Z-Feed. I love that. And so, Z-Feed, the, uh, have you got like a roadmap with it? Like, I, I noticed that you're very specific in saying we, which like... Mm. Um, it's it, actually just me. <laughs> is, that, is, that a, is that intentional because you really want it to be more than you? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and the, you know, looking ahead that is the plan is to have people who also feed into this and for it not to just be me, even though it is me right now. And I also don't want it to necessarily be um, attached to me personally, because I think it has something like that has more potential to grow beyond just those who might identify with me because of, you know, who I am or how I look or, you know, what I think it's not really about that, even though I'm the one driving Mm. it right now. Um, so for now, I'll keep saying we. But oh, I love it. Yeah, it is, it I mean, is a bit weird. It's like some, a bit meta sometimes. Well, I mean, the royal, the royal we. Well, brands like Vice start out as a person coming up with something or a team, and I mean that's what you can say we. But I mean, we just went, we went full hog and just went with big media company <laughs> name. <laughs> you know, it was just Josh and I, and uh, look at us now, a thousand employees. Yeah. I mean, which <laughs> <in the> future. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pushing back on the um, the idea of what big media means right like you can yeah. have you can be a small operation to have big impact mm. um there's something fun in the story two two small businesses coming together to form a big media company is the sort of fun little story behind the business mm. um i mean just before we jumped on we were talking about the uh little tools and strategies people with um instagram accounts that receive some attention to uh, the, that you can do to sort of uh curate some of the trolls away from the feed. I mean, when we started, I remember Jules Lunn was doing something called um, Block the Troll. You would have been working with uh, yeah, him. That, sure, what was yeah, it yeah. like? Well, it's just, I think, across, yeah, I think uh, across the board, it was just like about like um, don't engage. It was specifically around, there was a few cases of suicide with yeah. uh, high profile pe- uh, media people. And yeah. so there was a big push at that time around just block yeah just block mm. and yeah. so now there's a bunch of tools that you can use to sort of allow you know that that won't uh, i guess crystal you can explain it the one about so you're not sort of like getting them all oh, annoyed the restrict restrict, mm. restrict. yeah well that's can, what i've been doing for a few a few little trolls that have been popping up um you can restrict them so that they can still see your 
profile, see your content and they can still comment on it, but they're the only people that can see their own comment and you. <laughs> and if you approve it, then everybody else can see it. Okay. But if mm. you don't approve it, it stays, it's like only visible to, the, to them, which I think is, I mean, my, my opinion on that is, it's better because sometimes I think if you block them, they obviously know that you've blocked them because they mm-hmm. can't see you anymore. Mm-hmm. And if they really want to troll you, they'll just make another account, find you again and come back. And then I think as well, people saying like, why did you block me? You're deleting my comments. That makes other people think like, oh, well, what did this guy say? And, you know, kind of gives it a little bit more volume and validity than it needs to have. Whereas if they are not aware of the fact that no one else can see them, it's probably just takes the air out of it. And then also the problem that I was having was like people were trolling and just saying dumb, like deliberately inflammatory stuff. And then well-meaning people would jump on their comments Mm. and Mm. reply and like, you know, get really passionate and heated about it, which was just like surfacing it higher in, in the comments. So like Mm -hmm. the goal was to not have people reply to the trolls. So you just have to hide them. Uh, Someone uh, will always jump in and like, you know, and try to start the, the argument. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, her company that she works for, they um, they did a, a post about uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, one of the people who regularly comment on the content that they do uh, had said, um, hashtag all lives matter with like a love heart. And the thing is, this guy is someone who is always extremely supportive but potentially just a little bit naive to the whole thing and it was interesting misguided. yeah misguided and the interesting thing was the person that was managing the social media account uh, of this business uh, is an african-american and he wrote back thank you with a love heart and it was interesting because then uh my friend got uh you know, a DM saying, hey, uh, you're sort of, uh, I think you you guys are missing the mark by responding this, blah, blah, blah. I just think it, it opened up an interesting conversation around, um, uh, you know, for, for the social media manager that was writing back, who's African-American, he's like, oh, look, I, I'm experiencing things every single day. Um, it was just a battle that I don't necessarily didn't necessarily think that I needed to take on. Mm. Uh, what do you think, Crystal, in regards to public perception um, in this? So, because when we write back to people, we are sort of putting a level of a, a vote against something, or we're sort of revealing how we feel about something through replying to comments. Yeah, I learned pretty quickly that you can't even. I've never gone viral before, and mm-hmm. this definitely was in the realm of being viral um so one of the like the funny things is that you know when you go into your notifications on instagram and it tells you like you know it's like this number of likes this number of comments or whatever but then in the feed they're just like in chronological order i could see that there were comments but i couldn't even like grab them in the notifications feed to see what they were so i'd have to go onto the post and like Mm. kind of hunt hunt for them and I think that was maybe a good thing because I ultimately just had to give up even trying and that stopped me from engaging with it and like kind of giving it any extra oxygen Mm -hmm. um so in terms of things that go like really crazy and get really big I think you just you can't anyway like you might be able to get the first few and engage if you want to but after that you kind of just have to let it go which I never really understood before this um I don't know I think broadly I'm against deleting comments unless they really are, you know, violent or Mm -hmm. very aggressive. Um, I'd probably just defer to like leaving, restricting if I needed to and just not engaging. What about if they're from what you can tell is an anonymous page for followers or not even following 20 and zero followers that kind of thing. What do you think about anonymous accounts? It depends what they're saying. Like, it depends what they yeah. say. Well, if, if it is negative. negative. If it's negative, but it's not really, you know, if it's negative, but it's not really, like, aggressive or violent, I'd probably just leave it. Because also, like, I don't know that someone just didn't start their Instagram, like, today and saw my yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> That's being kind, Kristen. <laughs> um, Optus this week 
so last week, sorry, they what what happened? They got served a subpoena to give over the information of a anonymous user that was um, that commented a negative review on a teeth whitening business, which is huge. Like this is a lot of the time you you can be anonymous online. You can you know comment on news.com.au articles as Jeff when how, you're actually how negative Bob. was this review? Well, it was it was so so I don't know because they didn't post it, but they this lawyer wants the anonymous user's information to launch a defamation case. So it must have yeah. been something that sort of was throwing mm. shade right. at the business mm. in a very negative manner. But I mean, if this goes through, this is pretty. This is new. Well, the, the, there's been those cases where uh, competitors of businesses have gone in mm. and done big slams of reviews, and then have off the back been sued. So, I mean, are you across any of that, Crystal? Yeah, so there actually already is. There there already are some very interesting precedents in place, um, more specifically to like media law. So, fun fact, did you know that if um, the Sydney Morning Herald posts a link to one of their articles on Facebook, which of course they do every single day, and say it's about Tommy Jacket, you know, some exciting story about him, if I make a comment on Facebook on the post of that article saying something defamatory about Tommy. What would you say if you had to? What would you say? What would you say? It's like genuine <laughs> you know, maybe maybe I would say that the T J Daily videos are actually using child labour to be produced. Georgie boy does help edit, yeah, 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 but so he's good. overage. <laughs> See, the cho- I saw the chocolate. The chocolate <laughs> yeah, great, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. She's Lever- over me. Leveraging his kid. Only had the kid for um, <laughs> whatever <laughs> so, videos. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, this is great, yep. So if I left that comment, you can sue the Sydney Morning Herald for my comment, me as a member of the general public, mm-hmm. um, and there actually is already a precedent, a decision has already been made that the Sydney Morning Herald is in a, under Australian law considered to be the publisher of that comment, even wow. though the comment was made on Facebook, not on their own site. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's relatively new um, sort of development in that space. Obviously, publishers are pushing back pretty hard against it because it's we're, we're in sort of unusual waters where mm. anybody can comment on anything that's public on Facebook, but are the right people being held liable for it? Well, I think like um, when I was at Southern Cross Oz Stereo, when there was the uh, infamous royal prank that led to a suicide and there was a bunch of uh, comments that were written uh, mm-hmm. Based on that, mm-hmm. there was a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week team and that were like me being on that team that had to go through all the social networks and monitoring and wow. real-time deleting. This does bring up the point around what Twitter uh, did uh, a couple of weeks ago where they sort of did a bit of fact-checking, which Trump then uh, did – what what does he call it? He's um, – he uses his presidential executive powers, order. executive Exec- order, around uh, social media moving from being a platform to being a publisher, a which publisher. would be yeah. in more in line with that. So the platforms would, so Facebook could be liable. Yeah. So at the, at the moment, Facebook, Twitter, they're all considered platforms, and so that they're yeah. sort of um, people can write content on there, and they're not responsible. Mm-hmm. Twitter is playing a dangerous game around editorializing or adding uh, c- uh, commentary around tweets. And, you know, I guess it's the you know, the head of ethics or whatever it is within Twitter that's making that call. What's, yeah. what's your t- take on it, Crystal? Yeah, it's like I made a terrible analogy during the week. I'm just see if I can remember it. But it's, <laughs> it's whether um, Twitter is a microphone which you, people are using to say things or whether Twitter is a newspaper and that's kind of the distinction. So if mm. they are just a microphone, the microphone is not responsible for what comes out of it. It's the person. But if they are deemed to be, which is I, from what I understand, this is what Trump is trying mm-hmm. to shift the laws to reflect them as a publisher, which would 
yeah, see them sit in line with what media organizations have to, I guess, do in terms of like fact checking and um, making sure that what they're representing is the truth. Where, where I think they actually sit, I don't know. I'm inclined to think that they are more of a platform because it's also a little bit like how far does that go? I completely understand fact checking Trump's tweets, but how can you then start to fact check every single tweet? Yeah. Mm. made on Twitter. And isn't that also sort of shifting the power Mm. in saying like there's a difference between being a venue. So being Mm. like, oh, um, Trump, uh, you can use our venue to to speak and then having a venue that after he speaks will go up and then say their opinion about uh, what they think. Like I just think Mm. it's even though Trump is completely outrageous, obnoxious and... Uh, da- you know, dangerous in in the way that he communicates. I think that setting a precedent that some dude or woman or whoever it is in Twitter is or group of people is making a call yeah. on and editorialising and saying, "Hey, this is uh, here are three points that we found." I mean, they're they're essentially Z feeding it, but there's a big fucking difference between being Z feed, which is creating editorial content to help communicate uh, different perspectives versus actually like being a platform. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's almost like I'm trying to figure out whether Trump, I mean, this is, things get very political when I come mm. on this show, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be when crying yeah, tonight yeah, after yeah. No that. tears, no tears. <laughs> after your defamation. <laughs> I know. And I've it's not it, defamation like, if it's true though. <laughs> <laughs> but is he an idiot or is he a genius? Because he has gone outside of the existing um, structures of how a president would normally communicate, which would go through all of these layers of fact-checking, right? But he's just kind of gone, fuck it. I'm just going to yeah. keep tweeting like I have been, you know, my, before I was president. I'm just going to keep doing that because this sits outside of the, you know, the restrictions and structures of the White House and they can't really do anything about it. Right, I mean, is a meme page... Uh, that can, you know, that builds a 20 million following a genius or just Are someone who understands... He's like, he's fuck a- Jerry. <laughs> Dude, fuck Jerry knew how to game the system. Trump mm-hmm. is quite genius mm-hmm. in relation to... Ga- ga- he's gamified social media. Like, he knows how to work mm-hmm. people's emotions and... Fi- like, mm-hmm. like it's it's crazy what he is able to do. The and shame is... It doesn't have to be right. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if yeah. other people think it, then they will they'll back him on that and I mean, you know the funny thing is like um we don't we don't live in the US but it feels like it does consume a lot of the um the narratives that end up coming across into Australia mm. the political system i feel like i know more about the US political system than i do in Australia um biden i i just feel like it's it's this weird one because he seems like so average like just so like i I, it's this frustrating thing where it's like okay you've got uh trump who is outrageous just all all of the negatives but then you've got someone who doesn't who seems like a little bit spineless or maybe it doesn't have Mm. the qualities of of a leader or and then compare him to obama yeah so trump and obama characters Mm -hmm. in their own uh, and then Biden, yeah. If you're looking at the last two yeah, presidents, yeah, yeah. and then you go to Biden, just a bit, just a bit boring. I mean, what's the? Uh, is that the danger in all of this? That what do we what do we need from from leaders? Can a leader be boring? <laughs> well, you could almost say the same about Jacinda Ardern as well. Like she, I mean, she's obviously not the same kind of uh, show showman as mm-hmm. Trump is, but. It's almost like we want, we need leaders to be a little bit more than. Well, we need them to be leaders and not just politicians. Mm. They need to have like a little bit of, of theatre to them, don't I they? I love like, I love Jacinta because yeah. she seems like the thirty-something that you'd know. Like mm. I feel like the relatability of her mm. is that she could be, you know, my cousin's mate. Mm-hmm. And I had a drink with her once at the at the pub and. <laughs> Like even just her doing this sort of um, live streams at home. Oh, yeah. The normality of it and the relatability of it was what sort of I thought was the point of difference at that yeah. point. It's like someone who's leading a country is 
just someone. But the, Joe Biden is a different vibe to the yeah. normal. He's just basic. But then ScoMo is the substitute teacher. <laughs> he's the one who's, or you know, the the grumpy dad who's just like, you know, telling people off and doing all that. <laughs> stuff. And so, it's hard that because like I guess, do personalities reflect um, policy? Great question. Don't know. I think yeah. he just liked how it rhymed. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> to be honest, it was actually a TDTS quote. That's the only reason. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. Oh yeah, I got yeah, that. Got yeah, can yeah, we yeah. jump to? Um, I guess it's a similar vein. Shameless, the podcast have closed their Facebook group that had forty thousand strong. Mm-hmm. We had a hundred thousand, but we closed ours. Oh a few, yeah, few years. <laughs> <laughs> we shut it down. Shut it down. I mean. Uh, do you know much about that for someone? No, not, not, I, I, hadn't, don't? I hadn't heard that, no. I think that like, it, yeah, for, for them, they talked about it just sort of um, running its course, if that's the, the right, um, what do you say, turn of phrase? Yeah. Mm. And so, I mean, yeah. w- w- so they, so I think, I think they use the term, it got a bit toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, the sweet spot between 5,000 and 15,000 people within the group. And 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 what it was and what the conversation was around then and sort of I guess maybe how much you can handle at that point in mm. terms of you know uh, Michelle was mentioning that you know she's been on the phone with people mm. that are following that group at night talking through conversations that were on the group and um, and uh, Zara said that you know there's the, the decision to close it wasn't based on the the conversation we just had crystal around um media outlets being responsible for comments and and things that were being posted within you know with below posts that they were putting out so it was sort of a decision before that i mean it is a I mean, everyone thinks that attention is the thing that you want as a creator you want mm. numbers you want um, views but then when you look at something like shameless girls closing down a page that has a lot of attention mm. makes you think twice about is it attention that we want and, and what type of attention we do want have you thought about is, that for is yourself that a difference between like forty thousand in a or any kind of group of that size i guess it's the question of like whether that is actually a community whether is mm-hmm. that a, a real community of people or has that now just become an extension of an audience that they also have in other places? You know, is, is that like, should that really just be part of their social media followings or their newsletter list? Like, is it a community if it's that big? I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. a better question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Like with the Gronk squad, how many, how many do you think would honestly be too many to service? in the way that you are kind of servicing us all now. Yeah, I think that it's, um, for us, it's been about co-creating and so as, as a community, but I think that the problematic nature of community or culture, so like eight years ago, culture was the big thing that HR and people departments were talking about, uh, Culture has its own issues around unconscious bias and being like, okay, we just uh, we get people who speak like us, they think like us. There's no friction, and so the very hard thing I think about what Shameless has built is they've built a critical um, piece of media that requires debate. It requires all of those things, and I think with that complexity, it's. Um, yeah, I think that from a, from a content perspective, our content is a little bit safer to that, which I mm. think is why we won't grow to be as big as they are, but we will have, like, I think that we'll have slower growth where people will be aligned. And so, mm. if everyone is aligned based on um, being a gronk, what does it mean to be a gronk? Being a gronk means uh, not always being right but a willingness to improve that feels like if that's the benchmark we're in a in a good spot mm. and then there's i think there's there has to be a difference in you know having a 500 a 1000 a 5000 a 10000 there is a different version of um, what you can give over at mm-hmm. those levels and so 
you know, for for the shameless girls for what they'd built at the, you know, they're obviously identifying that this forty thousand, this is feels like it's out of hand, and the options to go down the path of monitoring it and curating like aren't Fuck the option that. at that point. They're like, no, nothing mm. is better than that. Well, you know, also, like, what is the? Um, it seems like there's diminishing returns on these things too. So it's like you. The difference between fifteen thousand and forty thousand. Are you really getting a diversity of opinions, or is it this homogenization that's happening on bigger ideas? So you mm. sort of have blocks of people, but then the toxicity rises. So if toxic ideas and negativity spreads, and so the numbers go up, you're going to end up with more people who are just being negative and noisy um yeah it's an interesting one um crystal uh, before we finish off for you three years time what does it look like what are you thinking for for z feed for you and your podcast are you thinking that far ahead Mm. this is pretty much what i've been thinking about all weekend (laughs) (laughs) Um, so taking the time now to just actually figure it out um because yeah like a week ago, I had 900 followers on Instagram. Now I have over 10,000. So the um, growth has been steep to say the least. Yeah. Um, but I'm not naive enough to think that that just means it's made and it automatically translates to people invested in what you're doing and actually, you know, in like it's hard. I don't want to sound ungrateful because I'm absolutely not. And it's kind of wrapped up in all this other complicated stuff around the events that had to happen that accelerated my growth the way that it did which is something I'm trying to unpack Um, but in a lot of ways a more steady growth is more manageable as well because you understand the people that are coming to you and what they kind of want and need from you so I'm trying to figure it out in three years time I hope that this is something that's a still going um and maybe has a few different content pillars that we're really strong on across a couple of different mediums. Um, but who knows? Who knows? You, mm. you said on Instagram, um, in one of your um, Insta stories, you did, as as uh, sometimes white passing uh, woman of colour, what, do, what does it mean to be uh, white passing? To be white passing means that even though I'm... I'm not white. I'm an Asian woman. Both my parents are Asian. Um, I guess I have ambiguous, um, I look racially ambiguous. So people can sometimes think that I am, that I actually am Caucasian, that I'm white and I just tan really easily. Or some people might think that I am Asian or people have said that they think I'm, you know, from Brazilian background or all these kind of different places. So when I am able to kind of go through society with some people thinking that I am white, I access all of the privileges that a white person also accesses because I haven't been put in a different box. Um, So I certainly have had things a lot easier in life than even some of my, you know, like some of my cousins who are much darker looking than I am, who have more um, Asian features than I do. I've definitely enjoyed some privileges in life and yeah, that's just another thing to take stock of at this, at this kind of time. It's given me a really good pause for thought. Mm. I remember um, growing up, a question that heaps of kids would ask is what's your Nasho? Is that still like, is that acceptable to be saying that? I've never. Do you say what's your heritage now or what's the, what's the PC, what's the PC way of. Well, because the other thing is... As someone who gets asked, I just don't think you should ask unless it's absolutely relevant. So, the thing that I wonder about that is the the point around colour. Like, um, one of the conversations Brie and I had was she was in the place of, um, you know, like, I'm not a racist person. Like, I don't see... Like, I just... I don't see you know, color or whatever. And then we spoke about that and read up and what, like why that's so problematic. Um, And so if we do see color and we are all different, is asking someone their nationality Mm. 
or you know try, like what is the the phrasing that that then is coming from a place of curiosity rather than tr- just trying to put people on a ladder i think there're probably two key things in it the first is that actually what's the most irritating um, and I, and for some people like potentially painful, like actually painful is when it's the first thing that you're asked or when it's kind of like in those initial conversations with someone that you're asking them, because really you should just be wanting to know who they are and what they're about outside of their race in initial kind of, you know, when you've just met someone mm-hmm. for the first time, like, what does it really matter? Um, and then after that, I mean, if it's someone that you have known and you are interacting with regularly about all kinds of other things outside of race, I mean, I don't know. I I don't really know. Just approaching it with compassion and kindness and and also anticipating that they might be put off by the question no matter how you ask it. I think the one thing we need to stop saying is where are you from? Mm. Uh Because that's a very weird, like you're not from here. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not great. Well, the, the question didn't think. make it onto Josh's 100 dating questions. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> no, it's, it's probably not necessary. The, the um, modern Josh. Yeah, well, I also think that part of it is, I think that is, from an intentions perspective, it can come from a good place, which is um, from a connectedness point of view, which is like, you know, you get excited where it's like, oh, I've been to this, pl- or oh, I know a little bit about this thing. It's like... Um, yeah, I, I know, know about I did, I did. Uh, Kashkambadam Jun, which is a Persian <laughs> eggplant dish. Yeah. Yeah. And so, if I know that someone's from Iran or if they sort of, um, if they're Persian, I, uh, I enjoy mentioning that. Or Kubida, I like mentioning yeah, that yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. But I realize that that's, <laughs> prob- that's a weird flex and doesn't necessarily um, help. It's more the, for me. The kids talking Nasho is a, when we were young, Italian, that were loved it when they discover somebody else that was... Italian too. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, but you can easily give it that sort of, uh, you know, best exampled approach versus the people that are wanting to understand. I mean, young kids like my son, you know, a, a three-year-old cannot be racist, I don't think, unless their parents are. But Bodhi definitely understands that there is different skin colors mm-hmm. and he knows like he's one of his favorite rappers, uh, Smallsy. He actually has a favorite rapper and he has a great song, but there's been moments where, um, and he's a, he's a black man and we've been in the lift before. And he said to somebody, he thought it was Smallsy. <sighs> and he said, right. And he said to the guy, Mossy Bop, which he called his song Mossy Bop, but he said it to this guy and the guy had no idea what was going on. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, he's kind of just understood from watching the film clip, which I probably shouldn't have showed him. <laughs> And seen somebody of colour and made the connection, and so does it say that the own like is that the problematic bit, which is the that one piece that's the only reference, reference that he has to. I mean, for, with so, for giving him benefit of the doubt, as a three year old, he's just seen a guy that looked like his favourite rapper. Yeah, well, it's not, but it's not even. I guess it has nothing to do with Bodium more the like what he's getting exposed to, right? So it's like if I he's. Mean, if, so if you had if you had uh, like a bunch of black friends and you were going on the, yeah, the weekend yeah. or whatever and you're going to barbecues and stuff, yeah. would would that be the would that be the connection in his yeah, mind? Probably not. But then I guess then you go is is that being racist? No, I don't think it's no, I don't think it's being racist. But I think it just review reveals our exposure. What? Uh, like, yeah, that like what I was talking about the other day. Our mm. contact list being you know ninety percent white. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I just thought. What do you think, Chris? You know, and that's why representation mm-hmm. is like a really it's it's so important because you know for like to use Bodhi as the example, his reference point hopefully as he gets a little bit old, you know, he is only three, so there's only he's just starting to make these connections but hopefully his reference point for the professions and the things that a black man can do will be beyond being a sports person or a rapper and I think that's kind of the issue it's like making sure that people you know that young people and young kids understand that a black man also can be an academic can be a high school teacher can be an accountant, you know, can be a nurse, can be whatever. Um, and that's kind of the issue that I think Australia does, Australian media um, and 
people in positions of power in Australia are very uniform, more so than I think in a lot of countries that we often compare ourselves to. So that's like a big part of the work for me is just like, how can I also represent other people in the various things that they, the various very different things that they mm. do so that everybody has this expectation that you you really can be. Oh, it's such a cliche, isn't it? That really optimistic cliche yeah. that you can be anything. But yeah. you do want to show really young kids that yeah. all different types of people can do all different types of jobs because it's great for them too because then mm-hmm. Bodhi will grow up also knowing that he really can do anything he wants to do, not only because you and um, Amy tell him that he can, but because he sees that all of these different types of people do what they want to do too. Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated thing for parents too i think about what's the best way of educating a young child moving forward what's well, through your own actions i guess yeah and so it's like if they if they're sponges it's probably harder to um to get a whiteboard out and, and say okay here's here's the different jobs now these all, all these people can yeah. do it and that's why it's really important mm-hmm. that as a community, as a society, we do it all together. It's not just a response. Like we all have individual responsibilities, but we have individual responsibilities because we are a representation of society. And if mm. we can, and, you know, I can reflect it to uh, technology and having developers and engineers, it's like the reason why we need more representation in those roles is so that uh when uh you know young girls are looking at what they could potentially do mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be they're a, a fucking princess or a beautician or a pr specialist or a journalist or media and comms or a nurse that they can do all of these other things mm. and it's and it has as much weight mm. uh, on it yeah i mean i wonder how the um school systems are tackling this you know for the young future generation i I don't have the answer i I did have um a high school teacher from melbourne actually message seafeed and and ask if she could use the the little post that we put together in her class which was super exciting for me it was very lovely but i think you know people are definitely some people are definitely trying to bring it into the education system you so could end behind the news. You could be the <laughs> editor to behind the news. I would enjoy. I would enjoy that. Just a bit of that healthy competition. Uh, Crystal, <laughs> we need to make a spoof video. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Georgie boy, he's across the skits. So he could do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Georgie boy could definitely hook you up. Uh, Can we get this in Hump Day replay? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, it's happening. Um, uh, congratulations on on the success. It seems it seems weird because oh, it's like. You. Um, uh, you've got like we push back on the going viral thing because we understand how much work uh, that you do behind the scenes before yeah. anything actually happens. And you were the it's amazing that you've been putting in the effort, writing, mm. being critical, doing long hours, sending emails at you know ridiculous times, and making things happen. And so, I mean, it's it's proof that when you uh, put in the effort, that it can you know return return the uh, the favor so congratulations it's so cool we're pumped thank for you thank you so much it means awesome. a lot awesome thanks crystal that's right, the daily talk show see you tomorrow thanks, guys. guys have a good one see you guys <laughs>